Hey, take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. We're going to focus our thoughts beginning in verse 26 this morning. So Luke chapter 8, we'll look at verse 26 through verse 39. You know, I'm constantly reminded that what we do here on Sunday mornings is uh, I come and bring a message, or maybe even as you read through the Scripture together, uh, maybe on Monday morning or Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, whatever day of the week it is, I'm reminded that our reading and our study, I'm reminded that all of those things are more than just academic exercises. I believe that this, this morning is more than just a theological reflection upon some Scripture. I believe that as we read together and as we hear what God has to say to us, there are practical implications for everyday life. Don't you? I believe if I'm reading the Scripture, it's not just so that I can understand the academics of it or the theological content of it. It is so that God will take that word and he will speak in such a way that I would be able to apply it to my life and I would be able to practically see it lived out each and every day. That's what I believe when I come to this place. So it's not just about hearing some good music, even though it's good music. It's not just about reading through the text, and the text is an awesome text. It is about how this will impact my life for the kingdom of God. That's what I believe. And I believe that God intends it for us. And that's the reason oftentimes he will take what we've read, and then he will take us into situations in that very day or that very week or that very month, and we will see how it's applied. Uh, this week, we were talking about storms. This last week, that is, that last Sunday, we talked about storms because Jesus was taking his disciples on what I refer to as a field trip. Jesus had been teaching them. But then what he wanted to do was to take them out into the into the open, he wanted them to apply the messages that he had been bringing to them. He wanted them to understand. And what better way than just go out and see things for yourselves? And before you know it, Jesus has them in a boat and a storm is shaking. He, the storm is shaking that boat and is, is just about to destroy them, or so they believe. Uh, I say it's great well, let me say, let me back up and say it is unbelievable how God will sometimes take a message and then again apply it so clearly to us that next week. Some of you may not know, but our Bahamas team, we have a few down there, the rebuilding, um, rebuilding a church that actually had been destroyed by Hurricane Dorian. And they were working on it this week. And I think it was about Wednesday night, something like that, maybe Thursday night, Wednesday night, I believe. There was a storm that came across the island, and they were staying in a little fireworks tent. You ever seen one of those? Like something like that is what they were staying in. You know, those things, don't, they're not real steady in a storm, right? Well, after a night of holding up poles and praying to God that they would survive, God kept them through the storm. And I am grateful for that. I'm not sure they heard my sermon last week, but I'm going to play it for them when they get back. And it's going to have a, a renewed sense of uh, meaning for them now, I think, because God does. He, he shows us. He takes us through those things to remind us that he is the God over the storm. And that's what we had seen early in Luke 8, just in the previous verses. Jesus said, all right, get on the bus. We're going on a field trip. Actually, you're going to get in a boat, and you're going to see my power. And Jesus had taught them that they could trust his promise, 
that they could trust his power, that they could trust his person, who he was. Jesus had already taught them that. And now they get to the other side. Verse 26 says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. So they go on to the eastern side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And as they are there, I know that they're ready to take a little bit of a break. Now, now, I'm going to be honest. When I go on a trip, I like to pack the itinerary. I like to be doing things all the time. I don't like just to sit around too much. I'm not in the business of just sitting back and reflecting. and all. I like to be up doing something and learning something and seeing what's going on. But if I'd just been through the storm and I just thought I was about to die, I probably would have asked Jesus if we could have stopped at the snow cone stand. I probably would have said, Jesus, can we take a break just a moment from the field trip? Hopefully somebody had paid the fees so that we can stop by DQ and get a blizzard or something. Can we do something? Can we just relax? Can we just stop for a moment? But this field trip is intense. And Jesus is going to teach them Again, the implications of everyday life. He's shown them that he has power over impending disaster. He has power over nature. He has power over the storm. And now he leads them very quickly into the next part of the field trip. Stop number two, where he will demonstrate so clearly that he has power over demonic forces. Verse 27 says, and when he stepped out on the land, notice that. Just again, immediate, no break, gets to the other side. He steps out on the land, and there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Do you see how quickly this shifts to the next scene, to the next stop? As soon as Jesus steps out, he's confronted. And it's by this strange guy. Now, I think the whole scene is ominous. Because my understanding of this scripture is that Jesus and the disciples get to the other side and it's, it's probably still dark. It's night. Remember, they had left in the evening. They had battled with a storm and they get to the other side and it's night. Now, just darkness can make things seem ominous, right? Uh, when things are dark, sounds are more pronounced. Yes? In the middle of the night when you wake up and you hear something, it probably bothers you a little more because it's at night and it's dark, correct? It always, poor Leslie, every time something like that happens and we hear that, she has to get up and go check and see what's going on. And it just... <laughs> darkness can scare you. It can frighten you. It can. So here's this ominous scene, okay? Try to imagine it with me because I think sometimes we need to go back to the Scripture and try to put ourselves right there. And here they are. They're in the boat, and again, they're tattered and they're torn, and they, they, they have not rested because of the storm. They get to the other side, and in the cloak of darkness, this individual runs up to the boat. Matthew tells us that there are two guys, actually. Now, Mark and Luke focus on just one. It doesn't mean that they disagree. It just means Mark and Luke, according to the Holy Spirit working in them, just focused on the one. But Matthew says there too. So here they are. 
They're getting out. Jesus steps on shore, and this guy comes up. And you can tell something's wrong. He's not dressed. Uh, we're, we're told in the other Gospels that he had cut himself. He had mutilated himself. In times, he, he had harmed himself. So it, it is a desperate scene. If I'd have been the disciples, I probably would have been like, all right, Jesus, you got this one. I'm staying in the boat for a little while. Not sure I want to. Sometimes it can be frightening. Sometimes to see an individual that, that seems not to have any type of, of self-control. I remember uh, a few years ago, we were in St. Louis at the Southern Baptist Convention. And my family and I had... Sat through all the convention. You'd be proud. My kids, I always tell them when we go to the convention, I expect them to go and I expect them to be there for most all the business and all the other things. I know I'm a bad dad, but that's just the way. I'm like, you just go. You're going with us. But if you'll sit here and you'll be good and you'll do what you need to do, I'll make it worth your while afterwards. We'll try to go do something fun on that Thursday or Friday after we get out of the convention. Well, we had stayed in downtown St. Louis around that convention center, and we had decided we'd go over to the city museum, which is really cool. If you've never been there, really cool. The only thing is you need to make sure you've worked out a lot before you get into some of those tunnels and all, and you start crawling around, okay? But we were walking down toward the city museum, and there was an older couple that stopped us, and they said, hey, you might want to go to the other side of the street. There's a guy down there. He's not got much control, obviously, of what he's saying, what he's doing. And you, we're used to this. We live here, but you may not be. You, you might want to cross over. And I said, thank you. Appreciate that. And we walked over uh, to the other side of the street. Well, obviously, the guy somehow had seen what had happened and probably had known that this couple had warned us. So as we had crossed over, this guy began to follow us, and he began to yell vulgarities at us, and he began to do all kinds of things. And here we were, you would think in downtown St. Louis, there'd be a lot of people around. There weren't. I kept looking for somebody. God, where else? Somebody around. I mean, somebody's got to be, God, God somebody's got to be around here so that we can, I mean, I don't know if Leslie and I can take this guy. You know, I'm trying to. What are we, we going to do? And uh, we, kept, we kept walking out. And I will be honest, it was rather fearful. It was a fearful time for us because I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen. And I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Now, obviously, we were okay, and we made it to where finally we got to a street, and there were people there that helped us a little bit in that situation. But I can't imagine. Here you are. You've just experienced, again, the storm and you're stepping out onto this land, and hopefully you're about to get some relief. But instead of getting relief, you look up, and there are a couple of guys, and there's one in particular that seems to have lost all type of control. He is in isolation. He, he, he is scary. He is frightening. But look at this. It says... That when Jesus stepped out on the land and the guy came, it says in verse 28, he saw Jesus, he cried out, he fell down before him with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, 
Do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. He broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Let me give you an insight into Jesus' teaching plan here. Uh, I want to give you just what I think as I've read through this, his objectives. For those of you who are educators, you can maybe think of it this way. Because again, Jesus is on a field trip. He's trying to teach his disciples. Objective number one, I would say, is that Jesus is trying to teach them the reality of demonic oppression. Jesus is going to show them here. Now, again, you can talk about it all day long, right? But now he's going to show them. Now, this is not the first time Jesus had shown them demonic oppression. It's not the first time that Jesus had faced demonic opposition. Jesus himself, according to Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37, it tells us that he had come into contact with demonic influences and forces. In chapter 6, verse 18 of Luke, we're told that the disciples were there and they had seen Jesus casting out demons. So they had already seen it. Now Jesus is going to drive the point home because repetition is good in teaching. Correct? It is good. I, I told somebody just this last week that I'm one of these guys that I learn by repetition. So when I was in school and they would tell us to write our spelling words like, I don't know what, 85 times each. It was okay. I didn't necessarily like it, but I will tell you that I could learn how to spell the word after I'd done that. There is certain merit in repetition. Paul, later on, will repeat himself over and over because people need to learn. And here's Jesus. He's showing them, he's teaching them the reality of demonic opposition. And this is going to be obviously a memorable moment where it's going to be recorded again in Matthew, Mark, and Luke for us. It's a memorable moment of where he teaches them. He shows them the demonic opposition, the demonic influences through this man. What does it say again about this man? It says that this man, he was not clothed. It says that he lived in tombs which would have been like subterranean caves back then. He would have lived among the tombs or the, the caves. It says again that they had tried to shackle him or bind him. The other scriptures remind us that as he would break those or even as in his fits, he would sometimes harm himself. Mark actually tells us, Mark says that not a person could tame him. That's the word that was used by Mark. Or control him. James would use the same word to talk about controlling animals. So in other words, it was almost like this guy was animalistic. Which is sad in and of itself, right? That anybody would be, would be equated with an animal. This was a person. The Imago Dei, the image of God, had dwelt in this individual. And there was value in this individual. But unfortunately, because of demonic oppression and demonic influences, because of that, 
the man had been isolated from society, alienated, and he was looked upon as an animal. The Talmud, which would be a collection of rabbinical teachings, some after, obviously, the New Testament, but some very close to the New Testament time, the Talmud gave four characteristics of madness. Four characteristics of madness. One, walking abroad at night. Two, spending the night in a grave. Three, tearing one's clothes. And four, destroying what one was given. So in other words, if you were to take the, the characteristics of those early rabbis, you would see that they had dismissed this guy as a, a guy who was, was just mad, uncontrollable, and obviously, as Jesus reminds us here, demonically oppressed. The Bible says that as Jesus speaks to him and says, what's your name? The demonic voices or voice answers. And the demonic voice says, legion, legion. Now, in the New Testament period, a Roman legion had at least 6,000 soldiers. Okay, think about that. Great army, 6,000, maybe 6,000 plus soldiers. So when he's saying legion, I'm not saying necessarily there were 6,000 demons within him, but I'm telling you there were multiple demons, according to what the passage teaches us, that there were multiple demons that possessed him. Mary Magdalene, if you go back in Luke chapter 8, the same chapter, in the very first few verses, it tells us about a lady named Mary Magdalene who had seven demons that Jesus had cast out. So, obviously, there were demonic influences, there were demonic spirits that had taken this individual and had wreaked havoc upon his life. Now, where did demons come from? Let, let, let me say this, though, first. Demons are real. I don't care how we try to, like, explain them away. Demonic influence is still real. There was a guy that was a preacher back in the early 20th century, 1900s. His name was uh, Fosdick. He was a Baptist preacher, as a matter of fact. He preached on the radio at the time. He was very, very uh, popular. I would tell you that at the time, he was the most popular preacher in the United States of America. Harry Emerson Fosdick, that he would preach. Early 1900s, Dwight, you remember him? <laughs> 1910, 15, 20, somewhere in there. Fosdick, Fosdick would preach, and, and what Fosdick did is he tried to bring the scientific method. Now, I'm all about the science and all that kind of stuff. That's cool. But he tried to take all these things and look at Scripture and explain it all within a lens of science. So when he would look at these things, he would actually like deny the miracle itself. He would, de he would deny demonic kind of influence. He, says, he would say, that's just the phenomenon of the time. That's how they described it because they did not have the um, advancement that we have today. That's what he would teach. And he influenced a whole generation of people. I tell you that what he tried to do what he has tried to do has actually harmed our understanding of God's kingdom and the spiritual opposition that comes against us. 
There are too many today that just dismiss this. And they don't realize the reality of spiritual warfare. To understand that there are demonic influences, that there are demonic spirits. Where do they come from again? According to my understanding of Scripture, there was this one individual named Lucifer who was the angel of light. He tried to rebel against the God of heaven, he and a third of the angels, and they were cast down. Jesus even talks about seeing that one cast down. I was reading it again this week. And he and his army, they have tried to do everything they can to push back against God and his kingdom. The Hebrews called this individual Satan, the adversary. In the New Testament, he's referred to as the devil, the diabolical one, the, uh, the accuser of the brethren, the slanderer. He was a real and he is a real individual. But let me say this. He is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He is not all-present like our God. Never, under, never compare the two. But also... Never underestimate Satan and his power. Because what he has, Satan may not be the one who would work on me today, but he's got demonic influences. He's got demon spirits that are often pushing back against God's people and against God's family in particular. I do not believe that there's a devil behind every bush. That's what I have heard in theological circles. I don't believe there's a devil behind every bush. In other words, I don't think everything bad that happens is because of a demonic influence or opposition. I don't believe there's a demon behind every bush. But I do believe you will frequently find one hiding in your flower bed. I think so. Don't believe there's, a there's one behind every bush, but I think also we need to understand that there are moments in our lives where demonic influences and demonic opposition is pushing back against us. Don't dismiss it. Not every issue is necessarily a demonic issue. But I hope we can agree this morning that demonic spirits are still oppressing people. Dr. Adrian Rogers said years ago that a child of God cannot be possessed by a demon. I concur. I believe that. If you're a child of God, you cannot be possessed by a demon. You're a child of God, according to what the Bible teaches us, the Holy Spirit resides within you, right? And the Holy Spirit never leaves. It's not one of these arrangements where he checks in and out every so often. He permanently dwells within his people. And I will tell you that the Holy Spirit is not going to tolerate a demonic spirit living right next to him. Because he's holy. He's pure. He's different. So I say to you that a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. But Dr. Rogers also said, but a Christian can possess a demonic influence in his or her life. And what he meant was, 
The demon cannot possess you, does not have ultimate control over you because God has control over you. But what happens every now and then is that you as a believer can yield yourself, you can submit yourself to the demonic influences and opposition that's out there and thus follow, unfortunately follow that type of mentality and that type of power. Now, Again, not every issue is a demonic issue. We must admit among us that there are those that are facing physical, mental, and emotional pain, and it's not necessarily because of a demonic attack. There are those who are mentally suffering. And I encourage people. I encourage people all the time to seek out Counseling professionals, professionals, medical professionals, those kinds of things. I do think we ought to do that. I, I encourage people to do that. Not everything can be so simplified as uh, a demonic type of opposition. There are those things that we need mental rest and help and those kinds of things from. But I do say again that there are certain influences there are certain influences that I have seen in my life. They have to be at least influenced by demonic spirits. Look at those who are suffering from addiction. Walk with those who have seen alcoholism take their lives. Walk with those who have seen drugs just destroy their mental, emotional, and sometimes they would even believe their spiritual capacity. Look at those who are suffering from sexual addiction like pornography. And look at the control and the power that is exhibited over their lives. How it's like they cannot break it. Look at those who are so caught in these different venues that a depression sets in. Now again, a depression can be a mental and physical issue as well. But note how these things all seem to go together. I'm going to tell you, as I've walked through with people who I've seen go through these issues, there's not a doubt in my mind that some of these attacks are demonic attacks because they cannot extricate themselves from it. They cannot simply just stop. I know you and I, there are times when you say, won't you just stop? In my life, my brothers who were given to alcoholism for years and years, I prayed and prayed, God, wouldn't they just stop? But friends, it's not about just stopping. Because you and I do not have the power in our lives to just stop. And that's what we have to understand, is that when demonic opposition comes, when demonic influences try to take over, what we have to rely upon is the power and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many people are still trying, and that's the reason they're going back and forth, and they still continue to see the shackles and the chains of this oppression. They're trying to do it on their own. 
But Jesus has got to be with you in order for you to face that oppression. You cannot on your own. Even the disciples, some of you say, well, the disciples, they overcame demons. They overcame demons within the name and the power of Jesus. I was doing a little research this week, and I know many individuals that have been a part of support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous or those kinds of things, and I was going back and just looking. And no matter what your take on this, um, I just think it's very interesting that when you find the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, as, as I was best to be able to find, it says this. I just want to read some of these. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number one. That means we're out of control. We couldn't do anything about it on our own, right? Number two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. A power. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects from our character. Humbly ask Him to remove our shortcomings. And even as it continues on, down in step number 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. When I read through that, what I hear is, we couldn't do it on our own. We needed something else in our lives. And they don't talk about demonic influences here, but they are saying there is something else that is at work, and there's something that we need to be able to push back in this, in this addiction, in this pain, in the things that we see. Folks, you cannot miss that every day there are people who are walking around us who are demonically oppressed and demonically influenced. And they're desperate. And oftentimes, what they have found is alienation, just as the guy who's walking among the tombs. It's like they have nobody, not really. No support. I mean, they are so different... Objective number one was to teach them the reality of demonic oppression and influence. And I, I really believe all we have to do is open our eyes today. When you walk out of here and you look in your family, yeah. I say, did you just talk about my family? Yes, I did. Your family, my family, we got it. There's not a family that's not untouched in some way by demonic influences and demonic oppression. But I want to give you this objective number two. The objective number two that he was trying to teach them was this. Teach them the reality of Jesus' power over demonic oppression. Yes, there's demonic influence. Yes, there's demonic oppression. But don't forget it. Jesus has the power. 
When I was reading through that Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps, when I was reading through it, it talked about power, God as we understood them and all that. Well, you know what? I could fill in a little bit for them in that. There is one. His name is Jesus. He is the only one that has power. There's no other deity. There's no other idol. There's nothing else that has the power to bring you and to break you into freedom. Nothing else. Just the name of Jesus. Now, again, I, I am not in any way trying to diminish the role of counselor. Some of us, you're here. You're here with us. You, in many ways, you are on the front lines. And you are able to use the name of Jesus through counseling, through your, your professional opportunities. You get to do that. It's only through Jesus. I, I, let, me, let me say this quick. Quickly here. You said you've never said anything quickly in your life. But let me say it quickly as best I can. Look at this. And, and again, there in the passage, notice these things. It says that when Jesus steps out and this man runs up, what happens? He falls down before him. Is that a, not a suggestion of the authority of Jesus? He fell down. The Bible says in verse 28, I beg you. Why did he beg Jesus? Because Jesus had the authority. When Jesus said, what's your name? The demons had to answer because Jesus had the authority. He, he begged Jesus not to torment him. Oh, and look in verse 31. I didn't read this a moment ago. It says, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. They said, please, Jesus, don't destroy us yet. Don't cast us into the abyss. Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, which is the final abode of the demons. See, it's not if they will be destroyed and cast into the abyss. It's when they will be destroyed and cast into the abyss. He says, please don't destroy us. Why is he saying that? Because Jesus has the authority. And then continue reading on, verse 32. A herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. In other words, they said, there are some swine, they are hogs. This is a Gentile region. Let us go into those swine. And Jesus permitted them. Because they couldn't do anything unless Jesus had allowed them and given them the authority. You don't miss that. You don't miss it. Jesus has the power. It's not something just the preacher shouts. It's not something just your Sunday school tells you about. Your Sunday school teacher will talk to you about. It's not just that. The power of Jesus is something that you can live in every day of your life. When you walk out of this place, when you get in your car, when you see your family, when the demons start knocking on your door, what you can say is, there's the power of Jesus that I have in my life. And I'm going to rely on him. I'm not saying it's not going to be tough. Did I say that? There's going to be tough moments. And the demons are going to come and they're going to work at your family. They're going to do whatever they can. But I'm telling you, the power of Jesus is more. I have a brother now who for so many, many years walked the path of alcoholism and so many other things that were in his life. And yet, 
I saw Jesus get a hold of him some years ago like I had never, can I admit this? I wasn't sure he ever would. But Jesus got a hold of him. And today he's going to be at Macedonia Baptist Church. I wouldn't be shocked if he's not singing in some little quartet. Or if he didn't lead some little brotherhood study. Oh yeah, my dad said, you know he's over everything now. I said, that's good, Dad. That's awesome. Because of the power of Jesus. It says in verse 33, The demons went out of the man, entered the swine. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Where'd they go afterwards? I don't know. have no idea. My personal opinion, there were some cats around. Had some more commentary on that, but I'm running out of time. Moving on, moving on. <laughs> when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Jesus had brought a peace to the storm on the trip over. Now Jesus had brought peace to the oppressed, to the terrified mind of this man. What a picture. He's sitting there, he's clothed. He's looking at Jesus, he's hearing Jesus, he's worshiping Jesus. Just when you think you want to give up on your son or your daughter, just when you think you're about to give up on your dad or your mom, and you're just ready to give up on that friend, You don't forget that Jesus can still bring the calm. He can still bring the peace to a troubled mind and heart and spirit. Because the Jesus that has the power here in the New Testament is the Jesus that still has the power right now in our lives. It said that they were scared. Yeah, because they had never seen anyone like this before they were afraid they also who had seen it told them what means he who had been demon possessed was healed they told him about jesus the whole multitude of the surrounding region the gadarenes asked him to depart from them for they see were seized with great fear and he got into the boat and returned now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him because when jesus has done this for you you just want to stay with him right the guy just said let me just can I just stay with you? Can I just be with you? Jesus sent him away, and he had a purpose. What do you do? Verse 39, he said, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. <laughs> I think that's our primary responsibility when we experience freedom and liberation. When we experience the power of Jesus, what do we do? We tell other people. And what do you do? He went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city, what great things Jesus had done for him. He told everybody. Gentile region. 
Now, the mission to the Gentiles will begin in earnest in the book of Acts. But here's a glimpse. I think Luke gave it to us as well here because Luke, I believe, was the only Gentile writer of the whole of Scripture. Certainly the New Testament. Here he says, they go out to the Gentile area and they tell them about Jesus. Already the word's getting out. Because when Jesus has freed you, what you want to do is to tell others. Let me encourage you. You say, well, I don't want to necessarily talk about some of the things going on in my life. Why not? Well, there's just some bad things there. That's right. Yes, there are. You know what? I got some bad things. Everybody in this place, if they would be honest, there's some bad things, some bad places we've been, some dark areas of thoughts and those kinds of things. It's okay to say, hey, this is where we were, but this is where we are now, thanks to Jesus. People need to hear the story. There may be an appropriate time, an appropriate place, appropriate season, but people need to hear the story because they need to know they can be freed. My friend there in Zachary, his name was Wayne. He was a deacon in our church. He was a coach in the local school system. And his addiction to cocaine almost destroyed him. People wouldn't know it. People wouldn't see it. He was still functional in some way. Thanks be to his family and a father-in-law that would not give up on him. He saw the power of Jesus eventually. And he was freed. He came to me one day after some time had passed and said, I think I need to tell my story. I said, I know you need to tell your story. Well, let me talk to the superintendent of schools. Let me talk to my principal. Let me talk to everybody and make sure that they know that I'm going to talk about these things. That's cool. That's awesome. I'll never forget when Wayne publicly shared his story of how God had allowed him to see freedom from that addiction, from that cocaine that had... And you can call it cocaine. You can call it whatever you want. I'm telling you, as I saw him and the way he reacted, you could have called it legion. But he told his story. I don't pray for you to go through storms. I don't pray for you to go through demonic influences in your life. But isn't it awesome that when you do and go through those moments, God can redeem them to help somebody else and to minister to somebody else around you? Jesus said, you just go back and you tell them. You go back and you tell them. Tell them what? Tell them the reality of demonic oppression. You can give it to them better than anybody else can, better than a preacher, better than a deacon, better than anybody. You can just go tell them about demonic oppression, and then you tell them about the power that I have over demonic oppression. You tell them about the guy you met, the God-man, Jesus. I say to you today, there are some of us in this place that we have demonic influences and oppression coming at us right now. And I'm, I'm just going to say it. 
you need to run to Jesus. Because he's the only one, through all the other things that can break you, that can help you, you need to come to Jesus. Some of you who are here and you experience it, you got a testimony, tell it. Tell it. Because others need to hear how Jesus can bring victory in people's lives even today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and Lord, we praise you. We thank you for who you are. And, oh, God, thank you for sending your Son to show us, to show us that you have the power over every type of demonic oppression and influence that comes against us. God, right now I pray that you would speak to my brothers and sisters who are here in this place. There are some who have been delivered but need to start proclaiming. God, give them liberty. There are some of us right in the middle of these attacks. God, give us peace and give us strength and give us the power that comes only through you. There are some in here today who have never accepted you as Lord and Savior, and because of that, they never have tapped into the energy and the power and the work that you accomplish. God, help them. And may we see your victory. Not just when we stand on Sunday morning in a sanctuary or in a gathering place. May we see it when we walk down the streets of Ruston and beyond. Help us to live in your power. We pray it in Jesus' name.